You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This morning we're continuing with our series on the life of David, and we've come to 1 Samuel 17. I should mention that this is a long chapter, and I'm not going to be able to, this morning, draw everything out of this chapter. We're going to be specifically focusing on verses 31 to 51, and just drawing out a couple of aspects of that text. We'll read the entire chapter to set the stage. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man, and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephratite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. 
When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done? said David. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the man answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword 
or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gat and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sha'arim road to Gat and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, As surely as you live, O king, I don't know. The king said, Find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. Loved congregation of the Lord Jesus, everybody was very afraid perhaps understandably so, because the enemy was just over the hill. And every day their toughest and biggest soldier came out and mocked them. It looked like the end for the people of Israel. King Saul was not standing up for them, not protecting them. It looked like death was imminent, and if not death, then certainly slavery. As we saw last week, Saul was not working out as the king of Israel. Because he had rejected God's word, God rejected him as king. And in his place, God anointed David. David was to be the next king after Saul. At this moment, however, in our text, Saul is still alive, still the king. David is patiently waiting until Saul is off the throne, waiting for God's time. The story in 1 Samuel 17 takes place in the southern part of the land of Israel, fairly close to Bethlehem, in what's known as the Shephelah. The Valley of Elah is also mentioned here. It's in the region of the the Shephelah. And, And the story illustrates the power of faith. More importantly, we learn something vital about the manner in which God works in this world to magnify His own glory. Israel was faced with this huge problem. In fact, their problem was over nine feet tall. And his name was Goliath. Goliath was the most terrifying enemy you could imagine. Though he may not have been a Philistine himself, he was fighting for them. He identified himself with them. So he's also called the Philistine throughout the text. 
As he came to the battlefield with the Philistines, he mocked the Israelite armies. But that wasn't all. Because even worse, he mocked and taunted, insulted Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel. The honor and glory of God were being maligned. Goliath called out to the people of Israel for them to send somebody out to come and fight against him in single-handed combat. If Goliath killed that man, then the Israelites would become slaves for the Philistines. But if the man killed Goliath, then the Philistines would become slaves for the Israelites. That kind of arrangement was quite common in Bible times. This was a problem. Israel was in a bad situation because they didn't have anybody to match Goliath's size and strength. Israel didn't have anybody who was ten feet tall. But they did have God. And God was and He is bigger and stronger than all those Philistines put together. Stronger than a hundred Goliaths. But here again, there was another problem because nobody thought of looking to God. We don't read in our text about Saul getting down on his knees to pray. We don't read about anybody praying for that matter. Nobody is calling out to the Lord. All they saw was Goliath. And they were afraid. Israel needed someone who would step forward and lead them. They needed someone who wasn't afraid of Goliath, the nine-foot God-mocker. Israel needed someone who would fight for them and save them from death or from becoming slaves from the, for the Philistines and quite likely from becoming extinct as a people. Enslaved peoples could conceivably disappear from the face of the earth. And then, what would become of God's promise in Genesis 3.15 to crush the head of the serpent? What would become of God's promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Things were looking ugly. Saul's knees were knocking together. He wasn't going to step up to the plate. His son Jonathan, who was an experienced and skilled soldier, who showed that earlier in 1 Samuel when he single-handedly took on a Philistine garrison all by himself. Jonathan is nowhere to be seen. Nobody wanted to fight. Nobody had faith that God would deliver them. And to be sure, their enemy was someone to take seriously, to be afraid of. We can't downplay that. We can't pretend that we wouldn't have had the same fear if we hadn't have been in their shoes. The reality, loved ones, is that we are in their shoes. Maybe we don't always realize it, but we have a terrible enemy. Actually, we have a number of enemies. And like Goliath, these enemies are also set on destroying not only the people of God, but they are also set on destroying God's honor. God's reputation. Hence, they are also God's enemies. And perhaps the biggest enemy is the one within. According to Paul in Romans 7, the remnants of our old nature wage war against us. That's the language that Paul uses. Waging war against us. Constantly trying to drag us away from the gospel, from the God of our salvation. 
Then there's also the devil. You know what the word Satan literally means, don't you? Satan means adversary, enemy. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 reminds us that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. He's one of our worst enemies. And as if the flesh and Satan were not enemies enough, then we also have the world. Other sinners just like us who know that sin and misery love company. The world also wants to destroy us and steal us away to hell with them. This unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and Satan, they'll do everything they can to distract us from the Gospel, to steer us away from Christ, to throw us off the narrow road, and worst of all, to dishonor God. We might have reason to be afraid, just as Israel was afraid of Goliath and the Philistines. If the people of God were left to themselves, then and now, then they should be very afraid. But we know, don't we, that we're not on our own. We have a God who is stronger than anyone. If we're resting and trusting in Christ, then we have no reason to fear. If God is on our side, against us shall be none. If we are on in Christ, He is on our side. God was stronger than Goliath all those years ago. God is stronger than His enemies today. He is stronger than the devil, the world, and our own flesh. And God will magnify His glory. Last week we looked at chapter 16 and we saw how God anointed David to be the one who would replace Saul. Now in chapter 17, David is beginning to come forward. God made David this boy, the shepherd boy, to be the one who would save Israel from the Philistines. God would magnify Himself through the weakness of man. Where Saul and so many others had failed, David, the boy, would be the one to succeed. And this shepherd boy did it with nothing except a slingshot in his hand. The standard weapon of a shepherd. David was all by himself out there on the battlefield when he faced Goliath. And he told him that he was going to kill him. That he was going to kill him, not in his own strength, but he was going to do it in the name and the power of Yahweh. And that's exactly what he did. David wasn't afraid of Goliath. We read about all kinds of other people being afraid in this chapter, but we don't read of David being afraid. He wasn't. Why not? Well, it wasn't because David was such a great man. We're not to read this text and and see and exalt David. Rather, it was because God gave him faith through His Holy Spirit. God led David to trust Him so that he wouldn't be afraid. God led David to be impressed with the majesty, the transcendence, the sovereign power of his God. 
He had perspective. He could put things in context because of what God had been doing in his life. You see, when David put that stone in Goliath's forehead and Goliath came crashing to the ground with a thud, that wasn't really David's deed. Rather, seen from the perspective of faith, it was God's doing. God used David to achieve the victory over this terrible enemy. And with that, God also directs our gaze to Jesus Christ. Just as this weak shepherd boy, weak from a human perspective, shepherd boy, single-handedly killed Goliath, so also the Lord Jesus Christ, through His weakness, through the, the cross, remember the shame of the cross, through that, Jesus attacked and overcame Satan, the world, and our own flesh all by Himself. He was victorious over sin and death at the cross. And this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remember that fact, don't we? Something which causes us to praise God. Something which causes us to to, to want to make much of God. David wasn't perfect. And while his character flaws are not yet really coming out at this particular point, eventually they do. They're, they're well known. David wasn't perfect. Not anywhere close. But yet he pointed ahead to his great son, Jesus Christ, who was perfect. And we might look at the sins in our lives and the power of Satan and the allure of the world and we might be afraid. might be afraid for ourselves. We might be afraid for our children. How are our children ever going to stay on the narrow path with all these enemies? But loved ones, When we believe in the Lord Jesus, that fear becomes irrational and unnecessary. Resting and trusting in Christ, we know that God is stronger than sin. God is stronger than Satan and death. Jesus Christ, His perfect life, His suffering, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, All of that is proof of God's power and strength. All of that is given to us. It's all for our benefit. We embrace Christ. We have union with Him by faith. His Spirit lives in us. And so God looks at us and He sees Christ's victory in us. He sees people who have victory over every sin and weakness. Through Christ and His Spirit in us, we are indeed more than conquerors through Him who loved us. But now what's true in principle also has to become true in practice. The Bible calls us to hate sin. And fight against it. 
to wage a holy war on it with the sword of the Spirit, with the Word of God doing violence to the remaining sin in our lives, being ruthless and cutting it off. And we do that first and foremostly by looking in faith to Christ. Constantly believing the good news and daily repenting from our sins. As long as we live and breathe, sin will always be there in our lives. But we can look forward to a time when the battle with sin will end. Through Jesus Christ, a time is coming when sin will be vanquished and dead. After we take our dying breath, we will be at home with the Lord. And we will no longer have to fight against sin. Then we'll have the full reality of the victory of Christ over sin and death and Satan. That gives us something to look forward to, doesn't it? But brothers and sisters, if we don't fight now, then there's nothing to look forward to. Zero. Because if you don't fight against sin and wage war against it in your life, if you don't kill sin, sin will be killing you. If you don't fight in the spiritual warfare to which you've been called, you show that you don't care. If you're indifferent about being a Christian soldier, you show that you're not really thankful for what Christ has done. If you're apathetic about sin, you simply don't love Him. Basically, if you don't fight against sin, you're slapping the holy God in the face, trampling on the Son of God, insulting the Spirit of grace. So, loved ones, let me encourage you once again this morning to stop loving sin and start hating it. Hate sin with a holy hatred. Don't keep going back to your sin. Hate it. Fight against it. When we keep going back to our sin, Scripture says in Proverbs 26 that we're like dogs going back to our vomit to eat it. That's a disgusting image, I know. But that's the picture, the God-given picture of what we're like if we keep going back to sin over and over and over again. Now, now see yourself going back to your sin over and over. Just visualize it in your head. That's a picture we have to learn to hate. That's a picture we have to learn to be disgusted with. Put an end to our love affair with sin, our being comfortable with sin, tolerating sin in our lives. Love it in the Lord. Like all of Scripture, this passage points us to Christ and the good news. But as we look to Christ and His victory in faith, it's also God's will that we live out of our faith. That we live out of our union with Him and that we do so to His glory. As Christ fought His and our enemies and achieved the victory, so it also has to be in our lives. 
Believing the Gospel always has consequences for how we conduct ourselves, for how we live our lives. No one can claim to be a Christian and then go and live the way that they want to, disregarding God's Word. Believing in Christ, embracing the Gospel, means that our faith bears fruit. Bears fruit in a commitment to follow God and to follow His ways. Think of what it says, for instance, in 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. Love for those around us is just one part of what it means to live out of our union with Christ to hate sin, fight against it, and to grow in grace. David lived out of faith as he stepped forward to battle Goliath. And he was passionate about God's honor. Christ lived out of faith as He agreed to come into this world to do battle against sin, Satan, and death. He too was zealous for God's reputation. Brothers and sisters, what about you? Will you live out of faith? Look to Christ, step forward, and do battle to the glory of God? You've been bought with the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ. You belong to Him. You believe in Him. You have union with Him through His Spirit. So undoubtedly, then, you will fight the good fight of the faith. And God will magnify His glory in you and through you. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.